What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 140 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It's Sunday afternoon. There's football happening, but there's actually interesting baseball, always sort of off-field baseball to discuss. And joining me as uh, often, the great Scott Coleman. What's up, man? What's up, Brad? Thanks, as always, for having me on. Yeah, my pleasure, sir. Um, just so people know, we're recording this at about 4 p.m. Eastern on Sunday. So if anything happens after this, uh, for instance, the Gold Glove winners will be announced later tonight. They will not be on this podcast because we don't know who won. Uh, but the Braves, we, we, we did talk quite a bit last week about the nominees. Uh, I hope that a couple of these guys win, whether it be Ender or Freeman or Julio. Somebody's hopefully going to win one um, this evening, but we won't know that. So just apologies in advance for that. This is the time that we had to record. And also there's some free agency stuff because free agency is like technically open. We're going to say that for for the end of this thing, but the hot stove is apparently lit, Scott. It's it's happening. GM meetings this week too. That Usually there's not a ton of action this week, um, but I know GMs always say that this is where they start to really lay the groundwork for some of their bigger deals. So hopefully we get a little bit uh, a little bit of action, even if we don't hear much about the Braves and Thopolis. I like to keep things pretty quiet. Uh, but nonetheless, it should be fun. And I'd imagine after last year's free agency uh, debacle, honestly, I think players <laughs> have a little more incentive this year to uh, to sign early. The few guys who did sign early last year, Cozart, Upton, um, a few others, they were rewarded for signing early as, as the rest of the market really failed to develop. So hopefully we do see some action early and don't just have a, uh, a big old crop of guys who are unsigned in February and March as we had last year. Yeah, that would be helpful. And uh, I think when you said debacle, it was uh, I found myself nodding along to that because you know, some guys got paid, but for the most part, everyone kind of agreed it was a dismal offseason for the players last winter. Um, so hopefully that won't be the case now if you are per, per player as I am. I want to see these teams spend some money, and we'll see what the what the Braves do. I, I think they, they will spend some money somewhere along the way. I'm not sure where it's going to be, and we'll talk about that later <laughs> on the podcast. I promise we're going to end with free agency, so hold on tight. We'll be there soon. Um couple of, I guess, news and notes of things to at least touch on briefly. The Braves have lost Michael Reed. The Michael Reed era is over. He was claimed by the Twins this week, and the Braves also acquired a, uh, a catcher named Rafi Lopez, who I know nothing about whatsoever other than the mm-hmm. fact that his numbers are not exactly exciting. I think he's probably more of a depth move. Think Chris Stewart would be my comparison, someone that's like that, or Rene Rivera, someone that's like probably not going to play. If they do, it'll be in a sort of emergency role. But anything you have to say about those guys before we move on? <laughs> Nothing really. Um, I'm guessing Michael Reed's interesting, sort of. I mean, I, I kind of yeah. like Michael Reed and, uh, as a entity. He just kind of has nowhere to go in Atlanta, so that was not a big yeah. surprise. Yeah, I'm with you. Rafi Lopez is probably best known. He was the uh, guy on the Padres who I think it was Kurt Suzuki who he stuck with a um, with the backswing and just kind of oh, almost no, I knocked that. I had no Kurt idea that was him. The game. Yeah, um, and and being a catcher, you would think he would have kind of gone up to Kurt and be like hey you okay sorry my bad and he just kind of walked off like it was nothing um maybe he didn't realize he, he did it um but yeah I mean he's as you said Chris Stewart Renee Rivera that kind of catcher if something would happen to whoever the Braves catchers are going to be next year uh he might get a call he has caught at the big league level um but yeah more of a depth move than anything yeah for sure um and that's to be expected. I mean, the stuff that's going to happen early, as you kind of mentioned earlier, the the stuff that happens early in this process normally is not terribly exciting. There might be one or two guys that move early. I would certainly encourage people to move earlier than they have in the past, but not a, not a big surprise that nothing earth-shattering has happened so far as we stand here recording on November 4th. Plenty of time. Um, 
One other thing before we get into sort of the meat stuff of this podcast, the Braves, not just the Braves, all of the World Series odds came out right after the World Series, and I wanted to mention those at least. I'm sort of the uh, handicapping expert on the uh, TalkingChop.com, so I had the honor of of writing about those. Um, No big surprise, the Braves are somewhere in the 12-to-1 or 14-to-1 range. That's kind of where I thought they would be, honestly. They're like number 7 or 8 if you were uh, trying to rank these teams in terms of their actual, you know, likelihood or the way the odds put the, the way the odds paint them to win the uh, World Series. All the big guns are ahead of them: the Dodgers, the Red Sox, the Astros. Um, but they're kind of in that group with like the Brewers, and a couple teams from the American League. I wasn't terribly surprised by that. It's going to bounce around quite a bit because you know if the Braves do something, their odds will probably improve. If they don't do anything and sort of stay pat in a boring way, they'll probably drop a little bit because somebody's going to do something and they'll jump ahead of them. Odds are very fluid, but I at least wanted to mention that those are available if you want to get weird and go ahead and bet on the Braves now. I know a lot of people just like to put like 10 bucks on the Braves every year to win the World Series and hopefully they'll win once in their lives or more more than once but you know once in their uh, every blue moon I'm not sure that I would recommend doing that at 12 to 1 based on the information that we have right now but it's out there it's available it's better uh, I mentioned it before but I know when I was in Vegas last January they were 125 to 1 to win the World Series so uh, as you said probably 12 to 1 is not a great value but it is cool to see them at least in the mix uh, in Vegas compared to the last couple of years where uh, you were just kind of throwing your money away if, if you put a bet on them. Yeah. I mean, that kind of value is long gone, um, which is, that's the case. I mean, if there was ever going to be a year where you were going to get the massive return on investment, it was going to be the first year when the Braves finally broke out. That was last year. They obviously didn't make it to the world series or even that close to the world series, but you had good value for sure. If you just if you if you decided to bet the Braves at 125 to one before the playoffs, they were down to like, 10 to 1, 12 to 1. Mm-hmm. So yeah. uh, you did a good thing, um, even if you lost, which you did. But it's one of those things. <laughs> you're trying to yeah. find value, and that's uh, kind of where that happens there. Uh, okay, we are going to get to free agency, but before we get to that, I definitely teased the last couple of weeks that we talk about the rotation this week. Last week it was the bullpen, so if you missed that with uh, Eric and I, go back and listen to that. But the rotation was interesting this year. We'll spend some time on this. There was obviously you know one full-blown breakout guy in Mike Fultonavich a really solid veteran story and Anibal Sanchez, and then a lot of interesting stuff behind that. So, I mean, let's just start with Fulty real quick. He was obviously quite good uh, this season, probably better than I ever thought he would be, especially in 2018 before he ever broke out. But uh, what do you think about where Fulty was and where Fulty can be now? Like, there's a lot of talk about, like, the ace conversation, and I kind of draw the line there. And an interesting point, I know Carlos and I used to talk about aces all the time and kind of where that line is. Fulty pitched like an ace this year, but I'm not 100% sure I'm putting him in that category just yet. So what do you think of Fulty, um, both, I guess, for now and moving forward? It, it was the breakout year that everybody had hoped for for a couple of years, and it was so obvious that uh, they call him a golden arm for a reason, and there was just so few guys who have the the stuff that he has. It's the reason why you stick with him. It's the reason you keep putting him out there. It's the reason you don't shift a guy like him to the bullpen. You give him every opportunity to be successful. And we had seen glimpses over it over his first uh, two or three years in the majors. And, and then he put it all together last year. You mentioned pitching like an ace, uh, 2.85 ERA across 31 starts. Very good. Uh, K per nine of almost 10. Good walk rate or good enough walk rate, I should say. Um, and really I thought one of the biggest things that Mike, one of the big reasons why Mike was able to improve was, was the home run rate. Um, he had gotten torpedoed by homers early in his career and, uh, to have a 0.84 home run per nine last year really helped him was really beneficial, helped, uh, keep the ball in the yard. So he took the step forward, as you said, I'm not sure if he's necessarily, um, an ace. And I think the term ace gets overused all the time as you and Carlos would probably agree. 
Um, there's truly, in my opinion, maybe 10 or 15 actual aces in baseball guys who for four or five years now or more are just dominant workhorses. Uh, the Max Scherzer's, the Corey Kluber's, the Chris sales, those, those kinds of guys, not that Fulte can't get there, but, uh, if you look at his underlying numbers a little bit, he he was a little fortunate to have the 2.85 ERA. Uh, not that I think he's going to regress into the guy he was before this year or anything like that. Um, he really did make some strides and improve. Uh, how he attacked hitters and, and how he used his pitches. Uh, but if he can be an, a, a solid number two moving forward, I think that's ultimately what his future is and, and a big win for the Braves considering they were able to get him uh, in the Evan Gaddis deal where they didn't give up a guy who had much of a future in Atlanta. Uh, obviously a trade they're, they're, they look very good at now and uh, and are happy with. Yeah, that's that looks to be a heist in retrospect, given the way that Fultz pitched this year. He's about a four-one pitcher, according to Fangraphs. Uh, I'm with you. I, I I think there are probably 10, 12, 15, maybe aces in the league. Um, and for me, you have to do it more than one year to for me to put you in that category. I, mean, I guess there's probably a scenario where a guy is just so dominant over a full season that I might jump him there. But Fulte wasn't quite that dominant. Um, and I think you just you got to see multiple years of that for me to kind of bank on you doing that moving forward. But as you mentioned, like him being a, a quality number two would be a really really nice. Honestly, he's not making much money. Um, he's still fairly young. He's not as young as you might think he is. So that was the thing about Fulte always is that he was always a little bit older than the other prospects. Like, for instance, he's already 27. He just turned 27. So he'll be, he'll be pitching at 27 in 2019. But still, that's not as young as you might think that he is based on his arrival timetable. So, yeah, all, all that stuff, um, just to say that he was quite good this year. I expect him to be good, good again moving forward. I would take the over on a 3.00 ERA projection for 2019. Um, maybe, not, maybe not by a lot, but I'd be surprised a little bit at least if you if you post a sub three era what do you think of that as sort of a baseline i think that's all that's kind of uh, it's pretty arbitrary based on just the fact that it's a round number but i would bet on him going over three if i had to bet honestly yeah me too i saw i know steamer came out with their projections and projections are almost always lower on guys than than higher um yes. i thought steamer was way low we, we talked uh they haven't projected for a 4.0 era next year uh 2.7 war uh, I, I disagree with that. I think Mike's a far better pitcher than that. Again, it's projection systems, and they're just for fun and based on computer models that are well uh, well above what you or I could ever put together. But at the same time, I, I think he will easily hit the over on that. Um, I think he has the upside of a five-win pitcher, which is really rare. I think there was only a dozen or so of those last year. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think he certainly has the ability to get better. And even if he doesn't get better and just kind of maintains who he was in 2018, then that's obviously a very good number two pitcher on a, on a good team. Yeah, I think if he's the exact same pitcher that he was this year, he'll have an ERA somewhere in the low threes. Which is mm-hmm. which is good. Uh, he was pretty fortunate, as you mentioned before. All of his all of his peripherals tell you that you know he was probably a guy with like a low three as ERA, and that's really really good. The walk rate is kind of stable, which is fine, but the strikeout rate was up, and his bat flip was really low. That's kind of where the a lot of the jump came from was that he did not allow a lot of uh, hits, which is you know a good thing. But it's one of those things you have you have to kind of keep things in perspective and realize that even even kind of even one season is almost a small sample in some ways. So just something to follow for the future. But I do think that Fulte is a very very good building block pitcher. Uh, at the same time, it, it would probably be better if they had someone who ended up being better than him. If that makes sense. Like it's not it's not a shot at Fulte by any means. But if you're going to try to win a World Series, 
most of the time you probably need someone who's a little bit better than what Fulte is probably going to be. You know, Fulte does have the upside to be a legitimate number one. Um, but if he's not that, if he's more of that comfortable number two, you might want someone, whether it be in the organization or out, out of the organization, to kind of be ahead of him in that pecking order, or maybe at least alongside of him. And you're hoping that out of all these, uh, all the myriad pitching prospects that the Braves have, that one of those guys pops to the point where they're better than Fulte. But yeah, it's you know, it's one of those things where it's always good to have someone like Fulton who makes that jump, is still cost-controlled for a while, and um, is a quality pitcher. So there he is. Yeah. Um, Elsewhere from that, it's interesting because the second best pitcher on the team this year was Anibal Sanchez um, from start to finish. Obviously, Sean Newcomb had some high highs early on. Kevin Gosman was really good for a while. But, you know, full body of work-wise, it was Anibal Sanchez who is going to be a free agent and is kind of he kind of came out of nowhere. Um, I guess we probably don't even need, need the words kind of. He, he absolutely came out of nowhere. He was not really in the mix at all, even back in March. So, I mean... Looking backwards at Anibal, let's just do that for now before we, before we look ahead. I mean, the numbers kind of look semi-sustainable, um, but it's also a situation where you know this guy has been around for a long time. He's been good at times, and he's been awful at times, so it's really hard to project what he actually is. I'm with you, and I think there's a fine line between bringing back a veteran that you struck gold with, but also then bringing back a veteran and, and seeing the clock at midnight and him falling off. The fact that they were able to pluck him in spring training and he made – uh, 25 starts, ERA below three. Even as even if he was a bit lucky with his peripherals of a 3.6 FIP and 3.8 xFIP, I mean, again, the fact that he was just anyone could have had him in the spring that the Braves took him. It's hard to imagine the Braves' season going as well as it did if they don't pick up Anibal Sanchez, which is kind of crazy because if we would have said this six months ago, we, we probably both would have laughed. Um, but again, I mean, game two starter of the of the playoffs for Atlanta, so. I, I would be in favor of bringing him back uh, maybe in like a, a sixth starter swingman bullpen role because inevitably injuries are going to happen. The Braves really seem to like having a sixth starter at times to help spread out uh, the workload a little bit, especially with some of their young guys. They If they are going to go into next year with a Mike Soroka, a Tukey, a Kyle Wright in the rotation, they're not necessarily going to want them to throw 200 innings in their first major league seasons or at least full major league seasons. So um, a fantastic year for him. And, and if the money's right, and especially if it's a one-year deal, he's somebody who I'd, I'd really like to bring back. I think he was a big influence too for some of the young guys on the roster. Um, but again, as with all free agents, you don't want to start overpaying for somebody who, uh, frankly, before last year hadn't been good in three or four seasons. Yeah, I mean, it had been a while since he was even effective-ish. There were a couple of really bad years in there for Annabelle. I would have probably guessed that he was done. He'll be 35. Like, it's not inconceivable that he's pretty good again. Um, and the numbers were still pretty solid. I know he was a little bit lucky, but at the same time, his peripherals were still, like, you know, mid to high threes ERA. And if that kind of production is real, then he's still quite a, a valuable asset. You know, about a strikeout per nine, less than three walks per nine. Like, he has good peripheral stats for the most part, even if they weren't as good as his numbers indicate. The bad pip, just like just like Fulte, he had a career low bad pip allowed of 255. That is not sustainable. It would definitely be higher than that, and that kind of leads to the about a, about a run gap between his ERA and his FIP and all that stuff. But yeah, it's it's a spot where 
I think if you have a reasonable price tag on him, then you might want to bring him back because there's no reason you don't. I think people always get into this. We talked about this before, even with position players, but people always want to just talk about like the starting nine or the starting five uh, in the rotation, and you just need more than that. Especially pitchers, you just need to be able to have seven, eight, nine starters at the beginning of a season, and they probably shouldn't all be young guys. <laughs> like I understand the Braves have this wealth of pitching that's going to be in AAA. We talked about that a little bit last week with Eric, where Gwinnett's going to be rocking with all these quality arms. But um, if they don't land a established veteran somewhere in this offseason at the at or near the top of the rotation, it wouldn't be a bad idea to have someone like Animal Sanchez or someone exactly like Animal Sanchez um, around. But at the same time, if somebody breaks the bank for him, you don't want to be getting in a, in a bidding war for Animal Sanchez going no. into his age thirty five season. So it's tricky. We just, we just we're just never going to know until we know what the market is. Honestly, that's kind of the, mm-hmm. that's kind of the, the main takeaway for me. Yeah, I'm on the exact same way, and and I think what Annabelle did last year was great, and if they can find room for him next year, awesome. As you said, you want to realistically probably have eight starting pitchers who you feel comfortable with because you're probably going to lose at least one of them to an injury, and and just over the long course of a season, you're going to need to give guys a breather. I liked how they handled uh, Newcomb, and, and if the Braves are going to continue doing the phantom DL stints as, as the Dodgers notoriously did when Anthopolis and Co. were there, um, you're going to need a handful of guys who you can count on. And um, I do think that he's someone who I'd like to have back, even if in a bullpen role, even if he is primarily out of the bullpen, I think there's value in having someone you can trust to eat innings. So if all of a sudden you go down 4 nothing early and you have to pull your starter, you're not effectively punting the game. You might have a chance to score a couple runs late and come back. It's not a situation where you're, you're throwing a, I guess, Josh Colmenter from a couple years ago where he would just kind of go out there and pitch until – uh, until the game was over, even if he gave up six or seven runs. So um, all good from Animal. And, and again, if if there's the right price, um, I, I think he'd be worth bringing back. Yeah, I, I agree. And it just comes down to what he gets offered. And uh, you know, listen, all credit to him. If he gets a big a big money big money deal elsewhere, he should take it and go and kind of do what he would do. Um, so we'll see how that plays out in the future. Uh, the rest of the guys that we'll talk about here are under contract for next year for the most part. Um, you know, obviously Sean Newcomb and Kevin Gosman are the two guys who I think people are basically just projecting as rotation members. I was a little bit surprised how many people are just like writing Newcomb in and pen. Um, I think I probably would too, but at the same time, like there's like every single every single discussion of the Braves rotation for 2019 talks about Sean Newcomb. Like it's an absolute lock that he's a back and B in rotation, which I'm not, again, not terribly surprised by. Just, I, I was kind of struck by the force of that a little bit. Um, so it looks like he's going to be back. Newcomb, it's a pretty easy story. He was really, really good early and really not very good late up to the point where he was um, someone who people didn't want to even see in the, in the postseason. And he's very talented. We kind of know that. But his issues are still the issues that he's always had. And um, even after the strong start to the last season, he still ended up the year with like a four ERA and um, some tricky stuff near the end. So how do you feel about Sean Newcomb right now? It's, he's very interesting to talk about because he his highs are so high and his lows are really low. You know, he's, he's a tough guy to talk about, honestly, because if you think that he's the guy he was basically from uh, the end of March to the end of July – uh, where he almost he came within a strike of no hitting the Dodgers. I mean, he was a legitimate number two uh, starter for the first three or four months of the year. But as you mentioned, I mean, the Braves were basically skipping him any opportunity they could uh, from mid-August on because of how poor he had pitched. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you look at his numbers on the year, uh, a 3.9 ERA, a 4.14 FIP. Uh, his walks did come down a little bit. Um, but still walked 11.5% of the batters he faced, which is high. 
It's one of the highest marks in baseball. Uh, the strikeouts remain good at 23%. That That's fine. Uh, doesn't give up a ton of homers still, which is good. Uh, and now you look at him and he's made, uh, he's made 50 starts in the majors. He has a 4.06 ERA, a 4.16 FIP. Um, and of course we all know about his big time stuff. So, uh, he's not a guy who I would actively, um, actively try to trade this winter, not necessarily, but I'm with you. I was a little surprised at just how he's, especially like Mark Bowman has written now multiple times that Newcomb is basically penciled in if not penned in for, for the 2019 rotation. I'm a little surprised. He seems like somebody who might be a trade piece if they were going to try to get an ace, uh, someone who is big league ready and might entice a team that's trying to to get some young pitching, but also a little bit more of a sure thing and not take a gamble on a couple of, of 18- and 19-year-olds in a trade. Um, so, yeah, if, if, if they're going to keep him again for 2019, you're going to live with the highs, you're going to live with the lows. If he is a, a, four, a four ERA pitcher moving forward, that's a – that's a number three. That's a number four. You hope he can find a little more consistency and, and continue to work deeper into games. Um, he did a little bit of a better job doing that last year compared to his rookie year. Um, but I'm with you. A little, he's, he's a tough guy to figure out uh, because we've all seen just how dominant he can be. But we've also seen where uh, there are nights where I don't even think he knows where the ball is going to end up. <laughs> and, and before you know it, he's walked six batters in three and a half innings. And, and then you're burning your bullpen. And, and that has consequential effects the rest of the week. So... Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. the the roller coaster ride makes it tougher to evaluate because I do think that before 2018, if we just knew he was going to make 30 starts, 31 games, and throw 160 innings and have an ERA south of south of four and have basically be a two win pitcher, we would have taken that um, as a baseline. That would have been fine with me. That would have been a pretty decent outcome, to be honest with you. But then just the way that it happened, where he was really really good for a wide stretch at the beginning of the season and just kind of fall off a cliff. And it's just it's a it's the profile thing. The walks, you know, really bother me. They were down a little bit, which is worth crediting. They were down a little bit from from previous levels. He still can't live in the four and a half walk per nine range. That's not going to be great long term. That kind of caps your ceiling, honestly. Um, even even with the stuff that he has, so I, it's tricky. I I kind of with you that maybe he has a he maybe has some good trade value, and that if people just look at what he did last year, look at his age and his projectability, and say, all right, that's a guy who we think could be in a rotation right now, who would help us, wouldn't hurt us, and also has some upside. That makes sense. And also, that's sort of the same thing with the Braves. It's it kind of comes down to whether Anthopoulos believes that there's more here. If he thinks that Newcomb is just this guy um, moving forward, then he probably is a he probably is someone who I would look to trade. Um, because of his age and the fact that someone somewhere is going to see more than he actually is now, just based on the arm, based on the pedigree and, and all that fun stuff. So it comes down to the internal the, the internal evaluation. Um, and if he thinks there's more to him, then they probably hold on to him. And if they don't, you might see like a sell semi-high here on Newcomb. But yeah, I mean, all, all that to say, I think I bet on him being in the rotation for next year based on everything that we've heard. It's just a situation where if he's if he's healthy, and he's on the roster, he's going to be he's going to pitch. Uh, he'll be alongside Fulty and Kevin Gosman, who we'll talk about in a second, as sort of the locks to be around. Um, and you know, Newcomb, if he can just repeat what he did last year, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. You probably want yep. that guy to be your fourth starter, but there's a reason that you know two win pitchers get employment and they also make a lot of money, honestly, a lot of the mm-hmm. time. So uh, if you can get a guy like that pretty cheap, which he still would be, that's not a bad value, honestly. Yeah, I'm with you. And I think you can certainly do worse as, as the team's number four starter. If yep. if you feel that Fulte can be that one-two type, uh, we'll talk about Gosman in a minute, but if you feel he can be the number three starter that he was pretty much when he was in Baltimore, if Newcomb's your fourth, you can, you can live with that. So 
um, I'm with you unless unless there was just kind of a, a no brainer trade out there. I think he'll be around um, in 2019. Yeah, we could probably leave it there with, with Nukem going to Gosman. Um, you know, Gosman actually has a longer track record of being a solid major leaguer than Nukem does. Um, he also has more of a pedigree. I think people have forgotten that Gosman was a top five pick in the draft and was like an uber prospect because he's kind of just been around for a while now. But he's not old. He'll, I mean, he'll be 28 in January. Um, he's not much older than Fulte, just for reference. I think if you ask, I think if you asked an average Braves fan who was um, older, everyone would say Gosman, but I think people would kind of underestimate the gap there between Fulte and Gosman, just as a reference point. Um, but Gosman has been a two-plus win pitcher for three straight seasons. Um, he was the best year of his career was two years ago, but this year, once he arrived in Atlanta, the light came on a little bit. He was a little bit better. Um, he's been a little bit frustrating, I'm sure. I know Orioles fans were kind of done with him by the end, which I understand. He was sort of up and down. But, you know, the Braves saw something that they liked in him. They kind of unlocked it immediately when he arrived. I'm not sure what he's going to be, but I do know that we now have three years of of evidence of him being a solid mid-rotation starter. And because of his pedigree and his arm, he might might be better than that. So that's a really nice asset, um, especially given what he he actually costs for 2019. I'm with you. He was somebody who, uh, I mean, immediately, I think, after one start, his first start wasn't great uh, with the Braves. And then all of a sudden... Um, all of a sudden they had him go exclusively out of the stretch and that seemed to, uh, to help him out a little bit. Uh, overall, his numbers were, were really impressive. He's, as you've said, he's, he's been pretty consistent his last three years. And I think getting out of Baltimore, especially was, can only do good for him. Um, in his starts with the Braves over the last two months at 2.87 ERA, which is good. Uh, 3.78 FIP, which, uh, isn't as good, obviously, although, again, with all these pitchers, there's a theme that their ERAs are lower than their FIPS. I think it's because the Braves' defense as a whole was just so good last year. Um, that's going to be a common theme when you have an elite defense. The Brewers, who had an, an elite defense, were the same way. Same with the Diamondbacks. It's just when you're putting good defenses behind pitchers, they're only going to benefit from a run production standpoint. Um, so, yeah, again, he's he's going to make probably 7 or $8, 9000000 million in arbitration. They have him for two more years, and uh, it's hard to overhaul a pitcher completely in the middle of a year when you're trying to win on a nightly basis. Uh, but I think that an off season with him, uh, with the brave staff will only do him good. There's some familiarity there in the front office. Uh, and if he's, if he's able to do what he's done really the last couple of years to give you an ERA between Oh, three and a half and, and three and three, three, eight, I think you're in really good shape. And again, not a guy you necessarily want to count on as a workhorse for the top of your rotation, but you can do a lot worse, especially giving his co- given his cost, as your as your team's number three, yeah, and I I do think I I like Gosman um, a little more than the numbers indicate, just because of everything that you said about how how they were able to kind of unlock him a little bit. But even then, like he's going to be appropriately paid or even less, and I think he's just someone you have to pencil in. I don't think there's that. Maybe, I mean, maybe there's a little bit a little bit upside. I don't I don't think there's going to be a breakout where he's going to be your, your number one starter. But if he is, for instance, I think. Ideally, if you had Fulte as your number two, Gosman and Newcomb as your three and your four, things look a lot better if you have a number one starter. If they're your one, two, and three, it's not awful by any means, um, but it isn't something that you're terribly excited about. So that yeah. kind of swings back to free agency and how things are going to look because you know, yeah. as much as we've talked about everything looking ahead for the last couple of years, it's kind of the present now where 2019 really matters because they're going to try to compete. They're going to be the favorite in the, in the NL East, and we'll see what happens, but um, just going off what, the, what these guys can bring, though, I'm totally fine. I think everybody everybody should be totally fine with those three guys being in rotation in some way if they are around because they're both, you know, I, 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 all three of those guys are capable. And I think um, 
their their overall baseline is clearly a quality rotation level pitcher on all three. Obviously, Fulty's beyond that, but the other two, I think both no, both Newcomb and Gosman, you need to be fine with in your rotation. Um, doing even even on even on a team that's trying to contend, those guys can be in your in your uh, st- on, I guess on your staff and be just fine. Honestly, yeah, you you nailed it. I mean, I'm with you when you talked about, and we'll talk about free agency and trades and all that here in a moment, but. I think ideally, if you can have a one through four of a of a number one TBD, Fulty, Gosman, and Newcomb, I think that's honestly across the National League, that's about as good of a one through four as you can have. Um, but again, that that number one option, the clear number one option, and again, this is assuming that Fulty isn't able to take that next step next year, um, and maybe he does. But you would like to have somebody, if not better than Fulty, at a similar level to Fulty. Maybe it's one of the young kids. Um, Maybe it's not. Maybe it's somebody from the outside. But um, there's at least a, a good foundation in place. And then you talk about some of the the young prospects and the and the possibility of signing or trading for for somebody as well. I think the Braves are in a pretty good spot with the rotation. Uh, for sure. Uh, one more guy we have to talk about a little bit in a little bit of depth is Julio Tehran. Um, Julio is owed 11 million for the 2019 season. That's yeah. interesting. And then the, and then the Braves have a club option on him for $12 million the following year. But right now, they're going to have to pay him either way unless they trade him. And that's an interesting spot to be in. Julio was uh, frustrating this year. He was, at times, quite effective. There was a couple of games, um, more than a couple of games, where he was good even if he didn't look good. It's one of the spots where he was able to be effective uh, even without you know quality stuff by kind of just you know there's there was some luck in there. For instance, he, he had his he has career low 217 BABIP allowed, which is comedy. Like it will never be that low again. Um, people were, I think the pro Julio crowd wanted to tell you that you know he I think he led the league or something some something crazy and not allowing hits because. A the backup allow was so low, was so low, and because when he when he did allow hits, they were home runs for the most part, <laughs> and he and he walked a lot of guys. So like, I don't really care about hits allowed. Like you know, base runners allowed is more interesting than that because the his walk rate spiked. It was the highest of, highest of his career at four point three per nine, um, and the home run rate is kind of always going to be bad. We all we kind of know that. So you know, at the end of the day, it was one hundred seventy five innings of a sub four ERA, um, albeit by a nose. And if you told me that, I'll take it. But nothing in the profile suggests that that's going to be what he actually was over if they did the whole season, that, that entire season again it probably wouldn't be that good um and the the deal is what the, the deal is what it is the Braves do have money to spend but 11 million dollars for Tehran isn't sexy it's not a disaster as long as he's kind of okay as a fourth fifth starter type but there was nothing nothing too fun about watching him pitch this year that's kind of the best way that I would put it and it just kind of makes things complicated moving forward because you know a year ago or especially 2 years ago that deal looked like an absolute bargain and now it doesn't um, it's tradable to be sure because a lot of teams like he'd be an upgrade for a lot of teams in the rotation. But the Braves have a lot of arms coming and a lot of arms that are already here, and that kind of puts them in a weird spot with a guy who isn't necessarily sexy at any point anymore. I think ultimately they would look to trade and will look to trade him now, even if it's kind of a a bad contract swap. Maybe there's a reliever, and I haven't dug into this too much. I'm not sure if you have, but maybe there's a reliever out there who's in the last year of his deal. Maybe even like a Darren O'Day type, who the Braves acquired, of course, at the deadline with Gosman, someone who's owed similar money to Julio, who who might just better help the Braves if the Braves aren't able to unload Tehran's deal to a team. Maybe they can at least do a contract swap, and even if you're not getting back a great player in return. Even if it is an, an average seventh inning bullpen arm, you're going to spend the money all the same, and I'd rather utilize it where it might help the team a little bit. I think I would have uh, Julio behind probably seven or eight options for the rotation next year. Um, as you mentioned, 
the numbers on the surface aren't bad, but you just look at the walks, you look at the home runs, seem like every game, even if, even if he didn't end up giving up a bunch of runs, um, every inning was a tight <laughs> walk on the tight, tight rope, uh, with multiple guys on and, and you were just kind of waiting for the wheels to fall off. So ultimately I, I think he's thrown his last pitch with the Braves. Um, I guess if they bring him to, to spring training and they're unable to find anyone, maybe he's able to give you a decent year as a, a fifth starter again. Maybe he's a little bit better out of the bullpen if he could juice up his pitches a little bit. Maybe he's a, more of a long man out of, the, out of the bullpen. But I do ultimately think some team, as you mentioned, who's who's looking just to stabilize the rotation a little bit, maybe they trade a not great contract that they have and do a one-for-one one swap for Julio. So uh, we'll see. But I think we're all in agreement that ideally you have uh, – you don't – rely on him for another 30 start 30 starts next year yeah i do think you know one year it's basically a one year 11 million dollar deal with a club option for 12 million for the following year and if he hit the market he might get that um it's not insane to me so it's not like the contract's some sort of disaster by any means like there's not too much risk because it's only one year if he's good there's value the next year and on 12 million because that's kind of what a going rate is for a decent starting pitcher and there, but for me, it's a situation where we kind of, we kind of, we kind of both said this already. But his value would be higher elsewhere in an organization that doesn't have pitching depth like the Braves do right now. I don't think you have to give him away to the point where if if they really do put him out there in the trade market and there's just absolutely nothing, you don't like. He's not so bad that you that you just eat his money. Like this is a guy who it's not like a situation with Matt Kemp or somebody like that where it's like some disaster contract. You just kind of maybe maybe you roll him out there again in April um, as your as your fifth starter. And if it doesn't go well, then you can cut bait in the middle of the year if you have to. But I don't think that there's a scenario where it's like unfathomable that he's pitching for the Braves in April. As I think you said that, I think you said you said the same said the same thing there. I should say, but I don't think that it's ideal. I think you have to try to trade him if you get any value at all. If they can't, bring him on back. He's been in the he's been in the organization for a long time, and um, he won't be starting on opening day this year. I don't think uh, for the first no. time in a long time. Let's hope um, not. Yeah, but other than that, it would not bother me all that much if he was the fifth starter to open the year. And I think if that happens, he needs to be on a short leash. And I think I, I think he would be under the new regime on the front office. But there's at least it's at least possible that he we saw some flashes from him this year where he he could be better than he was in 2018. Um, but at the same time, don't try to tell. I mean, people will point to his ERA and tell me that he was pretty good this year, and he he really wasn't pretty good this year. If we're being honest, yeah. the 217 bat pip is like again comically low. Like no one, I understand that there can be some skill in limiting hits. That is uh, the extreme of that. Like no, no one um, with his profile should be allowing a two seventeen method. That's kind of yeah. Like, that's 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 only one that's only one stat, but that's the one that gets cited. Everyone that wants to defend Julio wants to throw that one out there a lot and just be like, look at his batting average and look for he had this incredible. I think it might have been like a Braves record since Maddox or some some crazy number that I've I probably should have found for this for this podcast about how he limited hits at some crazy rate. But yeah, that's a good thing. But if you give up tons of walks and tons of home runs, that doesn't make you a good pitcher. Like you can limit hits yeah. and still be still be a bad pitcher. It's kind of, it's not impossible to do. Yeah. And historically he's a guy, I mean, he's made uh he's thrown almost twelve hundred career innings and his ERA is almost a half run lower than than his FIP. So he's he's throughout his entire time in Atlanta, he's been somebody who's who's been a little bit better than what his underlying numbers would, would show and maybe that's something he does. Maybe it's just uh, being fortunate for four or five years now. I mean, the, but... There are guys that can do that, and I think he might even yeah. be one of them. But mm-hmm. his peripherals this year 
were, were were way worse than they were previously. That's kind of where I am. Like he was noticeably worse this year in terms of his stuff and his peripherals while also maintaining the previous ERA. And I think um, you can still he can still beat his peripherals from last year and be a guy with an ERA in the mid fours. Yeah. And that's someone who, you know, isn't unusable, but also isn't someone you want in a rotation for a playoff team, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I'm with you completely. I think you can you could certainly do worse as your fifth. But again, because of all the depth and everything, I'm hoping that, that they don't have to. And who knows what will happen over the next Ooh, couple months. But I, fo- I found uh, a stat. I found a stat, Scott, while we were looking. Okay, hit me. Um, of all qualified starting pitchers last season, Julio Tehran had by far the lowest bad pip allowed at 217. We said that much times mm. on this podcast. Um, if I if I tell you just if I, if I say by far, what what what, what would you say? What, what would you guess is, was the second lowest bad pip allowed by a qualified mm. starting pitcher this season? I'll say uh, like 2.245. Yeah, it was 241. Point, point, yeah, 245. Okay. Yeah, it was so 241. So that isn't to say that I, I do think he's the kind of pitcher that could actually be pretty low. On the bad pip allowed scale, but no one is going to t- tell me that this is actually a real thing that he can do regularly at 217. Like even if he were to live in the, you know, 260 range, which is like a really low number, that would be really great. Um, that would have probably raised his ERA a half run, I would imagine, over the full season. So just keep that in mind when you're evaluating Hulute Ron from last year. I understand the four ERA, but I definitely trust the FIP and XFIP more, and those were you know. N- almost five. Um, so I think if uh, same, same game as before, if I were to ask you um, to project Julio Tehran for next season with an over under of 4.4 ERA, which one would you take over? I would take the over as well. Although, yeah. although it wouldn't be way over. I think if you made it 4.2, I mean, sorry, if you made it 4.6, I'd take the under probably. So mm. somewhere in the mid fours is probably where I think he'd be. But Again, that's not someone you are like rushing to use in your in your playoff level rotation. If he's your fifth starter, it's not a disaster. But at eleven million dollars, they gotta try to trade him. I think, and I think they probably will at least attempt it in the near future. Um, okay, real quick before we get out to the uh, free agency stuff, um, there's all these young guys: um, Mike Soroka, Tuki Toussaint, Max Free, Bryce Wilson, Luis Gohara, Colby Allard. Um, those guys are all around, um, and even there's a couple of the younger guys that are coming. You know, Ian Anderson, uh, Kyle Wright. Those guys are probably a little bit further away, but they're on their way as well. Um, right now, we we've already talked about the fact that they have, they have three guys that we would pencil in um, in Fulton, Newcomb, and Gosman. You know, if Julio's around, he'd be four, but we'll take him out for now. If you had to pick um, two of these guys to start start the rotation, say that they only have three guys, and you're and you're forced to pick two of the younger guys to start 2019 in the rotation. Who would you choose? I think there's one obvious candidate, and everybody else is interesting after that. Yeah, uh, I think Soroka, assuming the shoulder's healthy, and it does sound like he's yeah. healthier. He's I think Soroka's the, the guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, other than that, I think it's Max Freed actually, just because I'm not sure he's a little bit older. Um, I'm not sure what else Max Freed really benefits from being in the minors much more just because he's been there for so long. Not that he's old by any means, but I think freed has shown that he can get major leaguers out and he's honestly been pretty, pretty good whenever given an opportunity to start. But for whatever reason, he's just kind of had a a history of weird injuries. It's not like it's his elbow or his shoulder, but it was the blisters. And then he, he tweaked his groin trying to get out of the way of a line drive uh, back up the middle um, so I think Freed is the most likely to, to break camp with the team in the rotation. I'm not necessarily sure they will. Um, but I think with Tukey, 
um, and Kyle Wright, Bryce Wilson. Um, I think those three all could stand to see a little more time in Gwinnett. They really didn't see a lot of time in AAA last year. Maybe if they come to the spring and just pitch lights out, they'll give them a chance in the majors. But it wouldn't hurt to get those guys another half season or so of seasoning. Um, Luis Gahara, I hope I hope he's able to get in better shape. I hope he's able to just mentally kind of recover from what was just an awful year for him. Uh, losing his dad, I, I think his mom had a heart attack as well, if memory serves. Um, and then just all year, it was a lost season for him. I mean, he was hurt in spring training, couldn't get healthy, uh, was behind the eight ball really from the very beginning. And, and that certainly wasn't easy on him as he was dealing with that and his family issues. Um, and I think Colby Allard showed uh, in a very limited sample, of course, that he's just not quite ready for the majors uh, with his stuff. He's somebody who really has to have pinpoint command, not that uh, he couldn't find that in the minors over the next year or so, but somebody who was not ready to see major league hitters um, and a guy who has a lot of a lot of things to improve, frankly, if, if he's going to be a major league starter. So I would lean towards Soroka, obviously, and then Freed of that group. Uh, and that's assuming, of course, that that none of those guys get traded. And if I was a betting man, I would imagine at least one of those uh, six or seven names that we just mentioned do get traded this winter. Yeah, that does seem like a safe bet, uh, although not a lock. It definitely, I, I would say it's probable, but not definite. Um, you know, I do think that it's at least somewhat unlikely that they have to choose two of these guys to start from moment one. But if they have to, it's for me, it's Soroka for sure, if he's healthy. And then it's either Tukey or Freed. Um, Freed is a little older, a little bit more established. Um, Tukey, higher upside, etc. I think I'd probably go with Freed um, just to start the season, and then we'll see what happens from there. Kind of keep Tukey's innings down, etc. But uh, pretty easy to choice between those guys for me, and then you kind of go from there with the guys behind them. But I'm with you. I think a trade is coming. We'll talk about that now a little bit with the free agency stuff looking ahead. But I at least wanted to review the rotation. That's probably, you know, it's obviously a pretty quick review of a full season of, you know, seven, eight pitchers. But that's probably enough for that on this particular podcast. We can move on to the free agency stuff, which also includes some trade stuff. And now, as I mentioned before, the stove is now lit. Um, it's happening. Uh, I guess to start things off, there's actually a quote that um, I did not see. You actually unearthed this. I was uh, out of out of pocket for most of today. But Alex Anthopoulos went on MLB Network Radio and had a, uh, some interesting comments. So I'm going to throw this to you to talk about what Anthopoulos said because uh, I got some eyebrow raises from not just Braves people, but people people across the league. It wasn't like specific, but also yeah. might be interesting in the way that he uh, is talking about the future. Yeah, Anthopoulos went on uh, this morning and they were talking a range of, of things. And as we mentioned earlier, the GM meetings start Tuesday. Usually by Monday night, we start to hear some things. If memory serves, I think the Braves actually announced Anthopoulos uh, like a day or two before last year's GM meeting. So it's been almost a full year for him. But anyway, um, when asked about Bryce Harper and Machado in the free agent market, he said, we can be in on any player. We certainly have the dollars to do that. I don't know if it makes a lot of sense to do deals that are 10 years in length and longer at uh, significant dollars with that payroll that we have mentioned being more of a mid-market club. Um, and he said, it's not a rule for us, but I don't tend to see a ton of value from that. Uh, again, talking about giving out a 10 year plus deal, which had been kind of rumored throughout the week, a couple places with, with Harper and Machado. Uh, he said that doesn't mean we won't at least explore some things to see if we could line up on the right deal and at the right term but I'm reluctant to go into extremely lengths of terms uh, of contracts in terms of length, which um, end quote makes sense considering the Braves aren't yes. going to be able to throw $200 million at their payroll. Um, yeah. So it was, it's interesting nonetheless. I don't think, you know, Anthopolis is a very media savvy guy. He wasn't going to come out and say, 
yes, we're going to try to sign Bryce. No, we're not going to try to sign Bryce. Next question. Um, but <laughs> yeah. it is, but it is fairly, uh, maybe the Mets GM might, he his uh, his first week was a little rough with the media. Um, so I think it was kind of what the expected answer was from Anthopolis. I'm sure they're going to have conversations with, uh, especially with Scott Boris and Harper about what kind of contract they were really realistically looking to get. Um, but as you said, there's just so much risk in offering a potential 10 year deal. Maybe it's worth it. Maybe, maybe we look back in 10 years and say, boy, the, the Bryce Harper deal with whatever team signs him was, was worthwhile and, and fair. Um, but just committing, you know, $35 million to somebody in the year 2026 is just kind of a, a crazy proposition when you think about it like that. So ultimately I don't think the Braves are going to sign Harper or Machado. I think it's going to be one of the Dodgers or the Yankees, maybe the Phillies, if they really want to get in there. Um, we'll see. I know, I know a couple people have talked about Bryce Harper going to the giants, which, uh, would be an interesting fit, but alas, um, if the Braves don't sign Harper, it's not like the offseason is lost. There's plenty of other options out there. And again, if if you're not ready to commit one fourth of your payroll to to one player, even if he does have the p- potential to be a, you know one of the game's best and has had some really good years in the past, I'm just not sure that's necessarily how uh, how the Braves want to play it. Yeah, and you know, I never thought it was likely the Braves were going to do that, and I still don't. That's not changed. Um, you know. I don't have, I don't know, it's interesting. There are some people that want to yell and scream about Liberty Media and the, and the fact that they won't spend. And I, I kind of lean toward that in that it's frustrating because we know they can and they don't really want to. Um, with that said, I'm not also someone who wants to tell you that the only way this team can go forward is to pay Bryce Harper. They don't have to do that. I'd be okay with them doing it um, within reason. You know, there's probably a cutoff point where I wouldn't anymore. But, you know, Harper and Machado are guys that I would be pursuing if I was the Braves. But if the betting war gets out of control, I do understand them pulling back from that. So it's something that, you know, there's there's other ways to improve the team. They don't have to do that, but I'd be okay with them pursuing. They probably should make calls and do all that stuff and see where the line is. And if that crosses their line, then it crosses their line. But um, I can already hear people that are not Liberty Media fans yelling about how they won't spend this money. I'm not going to solely put that on ownership. I do think Anthopolis just might believe that it's a bad idea to sign a guy for 12 years um, or 10 years or whatever it is. Um, these guys are young, but they're not that young. Like, you know, how many of those 10-year contracts have gone well is my question. Um, I know many. they're reaching for agency early, and, and with, 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 with Machado and Harper, they'd be, you know, at the end, they'll be 35-36. But, you know, look around. How many guys at 35-36 are still playing at a level where they should be making $40 million a year? It's not many, um, if any. Yeah. So, um, you know, you would hope that you get big value early. And if the, you know, if, if Harper is as good as he can be, if Machado is as good as he can be, they'll be underpaid early in that deal. Even if they're making $35, $40 million, they'll be underpaid because they're both capable of like being eight, nine, 10 win players at different times in their career. But if, it, if, if that doesn't happen, if they're just okay, I mean, not okay, but if they're just good and the uh, deal is not like giving you massive surplus value early, you're in some trouble. Because the the end is going to be bad for whoever signs them. The end will be bad, and if you're the Braves, um, for better or worse, that we kind of know that Liberty isn't going to spend on the level of the Yankees or the Dodgers, and the Yankees and the Dodgers can kind of withstand a miss like that. And I'm not sure the Braves can, given what we know about Liberty. You know, the, it's sort of a different a different situation, different discussion as to whether that should be the case with Liberty. But if you're just trying to be realistic, as I am. You, know, you kind of have to just know what it's going to be, and they're not going to suddenly spend $300 million on payroll. It's just not going to happen. I wish it would. It'd be better. The Braves would be better if they were more willing to spend. I, you know, Everyone is in agreement that, that 
we, we all wish that Liberty would spend more money, but until they do it, you have to assume they're not gonna. And if within, within that constraint, even if they're gonna raise payroll, which they've said they're gonna do, you know, et cetera, et cetera, blah, 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 you know, investing 10 years of 30 plus million is a tougher sell. And yeah. I think there's a non ownership argument against it, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And and we haven't even mentioned the potential for an injury. Now, thankfully for hitters in baseball, they tend not to be injured. But, you know, you, you talk about Ken Griffey Jr. What could have his career been if, if he doesn't get the, the hamstring and the knee injuries late in his career? Who knows what, what happens? Maybe, as we've said, maybe Bryce goes on for the next 10 years and signs for $400 million, which uh, was what MLB trade rumors predicted and and just goes nuts and becomes the best player uh one of the best players in baseball and, and it looks like an, it looks like a good deal in a couple of years but i'm just not sure the braves can afford to effectively spend half of half of their payroll of a bryce harper and then freddie freeman currently and if they do sign him to an extension here in a couple of years i'm just not sure the braves are in a position where they want to be able to or where they have to commit almost half of of what they're paying their players every year to two guys in Harper and Freeman, even, even two very good players at that with Harper and Freeman, but it's just a lot to take on. And, and ultimately I, I just don't think the Braves are going to win a bidding war, uh, with some of the other teams that you mentioned. And, and that's okay. I mean, there, there are plenty of outfielders out there, both in free agency and trades. It's not like Bryce is the only good right fielder on the market. There's a bunch <laughs> of guys right. out there who the Braves could get. Um, and ultimately being able to address two or three spots on the roster for, with good players, uh, with with what basically Bryce Harper is going to cost on a yearly basis might be a better and, and probably is a better use of, of resources. Yeah, and again, this is not me caping for Liberty. I, I do think that I wish and I think it should be a situation where, where they're spending more money, but given what we know are the constraints, you can make a a personnel rational argument against signing Harper or Machado at a certain price point. Um, if it's By the way, I would do like 10 for 300. I would do that, um, even now. But they might get more than that, and they probably will get more than that. I think, based on what we know, um, at least one of them is going to. I would not. I'm definitely more Team Harper than Team Machado. That's just me. Yeah, me too. Um, just as a as a rule, I would certainly be paying. I would. I'd be willing to pay more for Harper than Machado. That's just you know my personal preference, probably. But um, especially also given what the Braves' constraints are and the fact that Machado wants to play shortstop and he's not going to be playing shortstop if anyone pays him to do that. That's a bad idea. He's bad defensively at shortstop, which is a. Uh, Subplot that we will not go down at this point in time, but just something to follow out there. I think uh, Anthopolis is going to do his due, his due diligence, and um, if he decides that it's something that they can do under what he understands, which is much better than we do, what the financial stuff is and what the, and what the financial stuff will be. I'm sure he's had that conversation already of what his payroll can be, um, because at the end of the day, they have to sign off on it. Um, he has a lot of power, but <laughs> he can't do anything without money, and uh, we'll see what happens there with ownership. Um, uh, you know, a lot, a lot to hit on here. There isn't like rumors are too strong right now. There really isn't a single like full-fledged Braves rumor right now, but there is some stuff to hit on. For instance, MLB trade rumors released their projections, which I think you referenced earlier. They projected two guys to go to the Braves. This is a very um, interesting exercise every year. It's not always right. In fact, it's mostly never right, but it's one of those things where it's informed speculation and they have Michael Brantley and Cody Allen, a pair of Cleveland Indians coming to Atlanta. Brantley for three for 45 total. Uh, he's a he's an outfielder, by the way, and Cody Allen, a reliever, for two for 16 million total. Um, neither of those struck me as out of or out of the ordinary. I think Brantley's going to get that something like that, and I think he'd be fine in Atlanta. Um, he's not 
the sexiest name in the world. He's also in, into his 30s now and has some injury stuff, et cetera, et cetera. Cody Allen, two for 16. Um, he's been a closer in Cleveland. He may not be a great lockdown closer, but he's been a quality end-of-game reliever for a while, so that wouldn't be a surprise to me either. What was your reaction when you saw those two numbers? Obviously, Brantley would be a huge upgrade, um, provided he's healthy on what the Braves could be having in the outfield um, for this year, but there's a lot of risk there, um, even if it's not necessarily off the charts with only three years um, on that contract. Yeah, you hit on it. A couple of things you had mentioned, as you said, with MLB trade rumors, it's far from an exact science. This time last year, they projected a that Mustakas was going to sign with the Braves for five years and eighty-five million. Um, I think <laughs> they, I think they had Tommy Hunter also signing with uh, with the Braves for like two years and eighteen million. Obviously, that didn't happen. So. Again, it's it's fun. It's it's fun to look at. No one knows what's going to happen this off season. Um, anyway, but yeah, I think I think between Michael Brantley is is an easy name to connect to the Braves because when he's healthy, he's he's been a really good outfielder. I mean, when he's when he's healthy, and again, that's that's kind of the name of the game with him. But um, when he's healthy, he's hit well. He gets on base at a high rate. Uh, has a little bit of power, a little bit of speed. Um, you know, at three years and 45 million, the money itself of 15 million really wasn't at least annually wasn't a big concern. I do worry a little bit about extending three years to him, but as they say with, uh, with free agency, generally you're going to add an extra year than what you would like to pay. So I think Brantley is, is just one of the many outfield names that are going to be connected to the Braves. Um, and honestly, if, if he didn't have the health concerns, we'd be talking probably closer to like a five year, hundred million dollar contract based on how he's hit throughout his career. But because you have injuries to multiple parts of it, I think he's had foot surgery, he's had ankle surgery, surgeries, had shoulder problems. Um, because of those injury concerns, he's obviously uh, going to get paid a little bit less. So he's someone who makes sense just like AJ Pollock might make sense and McCutcheon and Adam Jones and a dozen or so guys on the trade market who could be had. Um, and then with Cody Allen, he's one of, of more than a dozen relievers who all could be closers moving forward. I think after, after Craig Kimbrell, there's a pretty steep drop off and, uh, in relief options. And again, it's just a matter of, of finding which guy is going to be the best value um, and, and everything like that. So um, ultimately, I do think the Braves will sign a free agent reliever. It might not be one of the top guys um, just because the value won't be there. But um, Allen is someone who makes sense because of his closing expertise. He's a guy who, before he struggled in 2018, was probably in line for a four or five year deal in free agency at a, at a higher annual rate than their projected two years in 16. Uh, he struggled in 2018. Maybe it's a chance to buy low on a guy, but um, ultimately, I think I think the Braves are going to be active, and and it's pretty obvious they do need to address the bullpen somehow. Yeah, I mean, I I'm definitely more likely to buy in on a, on a two year deal for someone like Allen um, than I am for like the huge ticket deal for Kimbrel or whoever else. That's just my personality. I'm not going to be willing to pay up for a closer for four or five years at big money. I'm not going to do that. So Cody Allen or whoever else is in that mold makes more sense to me. Um, Brantley, I would like that. I, for instance, if that was on the table right now and I, I, it was basically take or leave it for the Braves, I would do that deal for Brantley, three for 45. Um, it, there's a little bit of risk there, but he, when he's healthy, is very good at baseball. Um, and I think um, the fact that he was healthy this year is encouraging. He's not that old, and three years is enough to where I can take that take that risk mildly. Um, a couple of other guys that are out there, I think you mentioned Adam Jones and McCutcheon. Those guys I'm not sure I want to be paying and slotting in as full-time starters um, at, at this point. I mean, it, it may work. 
but I would not be as enthused about that, whereas Brantley has a little bit more upside, I think, than those guys do at this point in time. But obviously, you know, without a full-fledged rumor, it's tough to really discuss, but I'd be okay with that 3 for 45 for Brantley. Uh, really, if both these deals, if it was if they announced right now 3 for 45 for Michael Brantley and 2 for 16 for Cody Allen, I would come on this podcast and say, all right, good. I'm fine with both those deals. You know what I mean? Yeah, like it's definitely it's all guessing, but I'm okay with both of those. So that made me happy um, to a certain extent. Um, the rest of the stuff that's out there right now, aside from that, is mostly trade wins. Not a ton of actual trade stuff, but some guys the Braves might be keeping tabs on. One is Rio Muto. We've talked about a lot on this podcast. There was one report, actually, I guess that almost like an announcement, that he was not going to be signing an extension in Miami. No surprise there. He doesn't want to stay there. Um, but there was a uh, sort of a hilarious exchange where a Marlins beat writer um, noted that it was going to take Ronald Acuna to get him from the Marlins, which was hysterical on every level. Um, yeah. I, he was serious, too, which is the funniest part of all of that. But I really enjoyed weird. that. But re- regardless of that, uh, Rio Muto is someone I've kind of expressed my opinion on a lot of times, so I'm going to stay out of this one for now. But what do you think about a potential pursuit there because I think of all the guys he's been the one that's most discussed to Atlanta um that doesn't really mean anything in the grand scheme of things but you know are you in on that pursuit or is it a situation where you're kind of more skeptical uh, yeah I mean for those who missed it there was a Marlins beat writer saying that the cost was going to be Ronald Acuna and the Braves <laughs> could take it or leave it which I, I absolutely I mean I leave it I mean it's not it's, it's I, actually yeah. I could not believe he was serious and like I thought it was like a joke because someone was tweeting about it without the actual tweet and I was like wait this this has to be some sort of sarcasm or something nope he was actually serious yeah Ronald Acuna was, was I mean surprise. it, it just the whole, if, yeah. So anyway, we could probably talk about that for an hour. Uh, just kind of weird. Especially, um, especially on a team like the Braves who actually have like a million prospects. In yeah. a situation where this is a team that's like void of prospects and like Acuna is their only trade asset. Or they have one guy. Yeah. Yeah. Like this is a, A, Acuna is untradeable. And B, even if he wasn't untradeable, like. The Braves system is freaking loaded. Like, what, what are we, what are we doing here? Like, you, you don't think that there's a deal that's possible for the Marlins where they would trade Real Muto without Acuna? Like, what if I offered you Albies, Anderson, Tukey, Wright, and something else for for Real Muto? They're not, they're not going to do that. Seriously, that's what, that's what we're doing. Yeah, now. <laughs> no, I know. And then his response was, "Well, if you're not going to give up Acuna, then go, you know, then go, uh, go find another catcher and see." Uh, Okay. okay. There's, there's other there's other catchers out there. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I, I've said before I'm I'm a big fan of Real Muto's. I think if if the price to get him is reasonable, then you absolutely do it, even if you have to overpay for him a little bit. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean Acuna or Albies, but if you have to throw in a little bit of a better pitching prospect than what you're hoping to get him for, again, you talk about the depth in the system. I think it's it's probably worthwhile. Um, yeah, so I, it's it's interesting that his name has already been talked about so so much, and Anthopolis has historically been a pretty quiet operator. Again, not that as you said, there's direct reports of yeah, the Braves and Marlins are talking, and something might get done. Um, but I think he's an obvious name, and and not just somebody the Braves are going to want, but somebody that uh, every team in baseball who could use a catcher, and that's that goes all the way from the Braves to the Phillies to the the Nationals to the Astros. I mean, there, there's probably a dozen teams who would happily take him and. We'll have a bit of a bidding war for him uh, when it comes to trade time. So um, I do think he's going to get traded. There is zero reason for the Marlins to keep him. It would be incredibly dumb for them to hold on to him. Maybe they will hang on to him. The Marlins aren't necessarily the best or most forward-thinking front office, but um, <laughs> you would think for their benefit because there's no way they're going to compete in the next two years uh, with him around. And they're also um, was- selling as high as possible. Like It's very possible, I would argue likely, that we've ne- that last year was the best year they'll they'll ever have, um, yeah. 
and catchers don't usually age well, et cetera, et cetera. Like this is the year to trade him. If they don't do it, they're absolutely absurd, frankly. Um, but and that's part of the reason why I'm a little bit worried about like paying like absolute top dollar for him. But if the Marlins think that Acuna is the only way, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, so we've done enough on a real Muto for a lifetime, but we'll, we'll come back if there's actually a rumor. Uh, but until then, we're going to stay away from that. I think as much as we can, because uh, there's just been so much about that in the last like month or so. Um, last little segment here. We got a bunch of questions on two um, established ace starting pitchers that it might be available, and that's Madison Bumgarner of the Giants and Corey Kluber of the Indians. People were asking in different forms, kind of like, how do you compile what would be a reasonable trade package um, for these kind of guys? Like, one of the questions came from M Dubs Eight, and he asked, like, he basically thinks that he, he in his mind, the Kluber deal were to start with like Inciarte and Sean Newcomb. That's interesting with a couple of prospects potentially. Um, Kluber is incredible and the price tag will be off the charts for him obviously um bumgarner is only one more year so it might be a little bit easier to get him but the giants also might be trying to compete again if they go after harper etc etc it's just really tough i think in general like the question of like how do you figure out what a package is is not is not an exact science at all um even, even people that i think are pretty informed like you and i have trouble with this sometimes it's tough for me to figure out like what teams want and i said this a little bit last week i think but um you can have prospects that might make perfect sense for a player, and if the opposing organization does not want those prospects, you're kind of SOL. Um, that's one of the good things about the Braves that they have so many. They have so many guys that usually, if you're trying to get a deal done, you can find a prospect or two in your organization that the other team that you're dealing with wants because there are just so many options. If yeah. you only have a couple of guys who are intriguing, and the other team doesn't want them, then you're in trouble. So. The Braves are operating from a position of strength, with that said, because they have so many options. But, I mean, what's what's a package look like for Corey Kluber in your mind? Like, I think it's going to take a lot. That's pretty obvious. But, like, what is a lot? Is is NCR table on the table? Is Albies potentially on the table? I don't, I don't think he would be. That was a joke that everybody was making at me um, on Twitter, which is always always fun, courtesy of Eric. Um, I'm not trying to trade Albies anymore, I promise. Um, but NCR Newcomb, is it all prospects? Like, what would you be yeah. trying to use to get one of these guys? It's It's tough. I'm still on the fence. I'm not entirely sure that Cleveland is going to trade trade I would away. Yes, he doesn't too. By the way, I, I, th- that was just a lot of noise this week. Like randomly, I don't know. I was at no point yeah. was I thinking that he was going to be available. It was like, oh, he might be available. Oh, he is available. Okay, he might be available. It's like it's very interesting yeah. right now. Out of nowhere, yeah. Um, so I'm not entirely sure. So I wouldn't. I don't think he's is an obvious trade guy. Is like what Giancarlo was last year, where everyone knew that Stanton was going to get moved or Yelich, etc. But um, yeah, I mean, Kluber is is as we talked earlier. He is one of baseball's maybe dozen or so legitimate aces. Um, signed for 2019 and then has two options after that for 2020, 2021. I think at about 15 million dollars per year. Uh, somebody who would cost a whole bunch. I don't. I don't know. I mean. Without knowing much about Cleveland's system off the top of my hand, I think they would want, as teams generally do, a mixture of of pitching and, and hitting uh, from the prospect ranks. I don't know. I mean, maybe they want maybe they want Sean Newcomb. Maybe they want Ian Anderson. It's hard to know who front offices want. It would cost a lot, and rightfully so, to get Kluber. Um, it would cost a lot to get Crosco. It would cost a lot to get either of them because they're both very good and and under control for three more years at a cheap rate. Um, ultimately, I don't think they're going to get moved. And, and to answer the other question about, you know, there's not really a, there's no, there's no trade table, if you will, to figure out what guys are worth. It's a little different. It's not like in the NFL where you have like draft picks where there's a, there's a value assigned to draft picks and all that. I think each team is, is different. And that's because you don't have a salary cap. And that's because you have teams that are 
one trying to compete and, or two not really competing. There's not much of a middle ground in baseball right now. Everyone's seemingly either rebuilding or going for it. Um, but ultimately, I, I think the Braves are in a good position because they have all these prospects to trade. But yeah, as you said, to come up with what the Indians might want for uh, Kluber, who's maybe been, if not the best pitcher in baseball the last three or four years, that at least a top five, maybe top three. Um, yeah, it's it's tough to really come up with a deal for a pitcher like that because they just don't get traded very often. Yeah, and it also depends on what that team is trying to do. Like the Indians, I can't imagine are going to go into a rebuild. Like they have a lot of guys, they're really good. Um, so Kluber, if he was available, they probably want some established pieces. Um, whereas some teams, like for instance the Marlins, for Real Muto probably just want prospects like maybe they want one guy that's a major leaguer but just to save some face but it's just really different as you mentioned there like every team is so different in that you know the same thing with the Giants like I can't imagine the Giants are gonna go to rebuild they just don't do that like maybe maybe they are now if they suddenly trade Bumgarner and they're gonna go into the tank for a little bit and maybe they want prospects but um the Braves don't you know for all the all the talent that they have that's available they don't really have a ton of like guys who they are likely to trade that are already in the majors I mean maybe Newcomb Maybe Enciarte, as, as the question mentioned, I mean, they could potentially look to trade Swanson. I don't. I, we haven't heard that, but like everybody else, you know, I'd be I'd be pretty stunned if they traded. They're obviously not going to trade Freeman or Acuna. I'd be pretty stunned. I'd be, I'd be pretty stunned at this point in time if they were going to trade Albies. I mean, Camargo seems pretty safe too. Like they don't have a lot of guys who I think that they are going to look to maybe even move that are in the majors already. So you're looking at all these prospect heavy packages, which can be appealing to some teams and not appealing to others. So. This is a bad answer, I guess, but the general thing is that it's we don't really know. Like we're kind of reliant on intel in most of these spots, and then from there you can kind of assess whether you would do a deal or not. But like just making up packages out of thin air for guys is really hard because you don't know what teams want, and you might be able to get it to appropriate value. But if the team doesn't like a guy, like you know, if the, if the, if the main piece of your offer is Christian Pache or the main piece of your offer is Austin Riley. And that team doesn't like Austin Riley, you're done. Like, that doesn't work. So it's mm-hmm. just tough in a lot of ways. And the Braves, by the way, the Braves don't really have this is kind of a weird, kind of a weird side um, discussion that we'll kind of end on, I think. Now that Acuna and Albies are in the majors, they don't really have that like universal number one prospect that like no. you know will be in a deal. Like, they have a bunch of really good prospects, but they don't have that guy who like you know is going to be the one they trade in a deal for a big guy. Like it's kind of like who do you like between Austin Riley and Christian Pache and Kyle Wright? And, 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 you know what I mean? Like there isn't that number one guy that you know they're going to deal. So it's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is, and that's probably a good thing and also not a good thing, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. You have you have a bunch of guys who you can realistically rank if you were to take the top ten and. Other than maybe maybe Soroka at the top, I mean, you could probably rank everybody, and even Soroka with the shoulder issues. I'm not sure he's he's locked in there. You can, I think, realistically kind of move around the top eight, nine, ten prospects in any order that you want based on your preference, and and say, yeah, that 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 could be right because there's just not much separating them. So, um, hopefully, it works out to the Braves' advantage. Maybe they they have a little more flexibility than other teams because they have so much depth other than San Diego. I'm not sure any team in baseball has has even close to the depth they do, but. Um, yeah, you're right. There's just not a, a clear cut, and that's ideally you'd like to have another number one prospect to pair with Acuna for years to come. But even if they don't have it, it's it's not the end of the world just because of the numbers game. You can only start so many starters and uh, or so many pitchers, and um, it never hurts to have options when it comes to working on the markets. 
they're going to be very flexible, I think, when de- with dealing with multiple teams and different teams. Because I think if you polled teams around the league, you come up with a lot of different answers on who the best pitching prospect is, and a lot of different answers on who they would rather like ha- rather have between Pache and Riley. Like, and those are those two guys are kind of clearly the one and two in terms of prospect bats right now that are actually available to be traded. But that might that might be a nice little split. And then the pitching guy, there's so many pitching prospects that good luck trying to find a consensus there. So um, yeah. Ethelbus has his hands full. Um, that's one of the reasons why that hire was so important. We spent so much time talking about it before and after it happened. Is that that guy makes a lot of decisions that you need. Um, you know, during the season. The GM kind of fades away a little bit, but in the offseason, it's the Anthopolis show, and we'll see what happens between now and then. I, I do put my trust in him. I think he's a very good executive. He's shown that over and over again, and uh, I like that hire quite a bit. It's already proving uh, dividends, in my opinion, and uh, this is a big offseason, though. There's no question about that. So it's open now, officially. The hot stove is lit. Um, Scott, I think we've probably done enough on this podcast. We've already gone kind of longer than I thought. It's November, and we just did an hour and like 10 minutes, which is <laughs> insane. But yeah. um, please plug anything you have going on. Uh, we can talk. We, you and I could talk for like another hour pretty easily, but we're going to not do that right now. We'll save it for later. <laughs> but please, please yeah, plug I, yourself. I think, uh, as always, with the GM meetings and everything, hopefully we do get a little bit of action, even if it's just more more talk than actual deals getting done. But I, I do think, and I know I think it was Jeff Passan of Yahoo who wrote uh, that it's expected kind of throughout the industry that it's going to be a much more active and robust market early on than what it was last year, which I think, literally everyone is happy about just because of how bad last year's off season was. So should be fun as always. We'll have updates on the site and all that good stuff. So should be a fun week. Talkingchop.com. Uh, please follow Scott at Scott Coleman 55 on the old Twitter machine. If you want Arizona basketball takes, which are coming very, very soon oh. starting Tuesday, I believe. might be a rough year. Uh, yeah, I think that's opening night. Yeah. Uh, your beloved Sacramento Kings, your beloved, uh, what, else, <laughs> what else can we talk about? No, my Colts. I have the most random. Yeah. Your, your Colts, your Missouri Tiger. Are you still, are you still kind of follow Missouri a little bit too? Is that, that's yeah. Thing? Yeah. And my fiance's, uh, went to Mizzou, so she'll have them on or she'll yeah, there you go. So yeah. Scott, if you want just bizarre sports fandom, Scott Coleman is the place to go. I'm going to put that in my bio. You should. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, Scott. I appreciate it, man. We'll do this again very soon, hopefully with some actual stuff to talk about, like some real rumors and not just stuff we're talking about. But there is one more uh, review to do. We'll definitely talk about the lineup next week. Um, so that, that's something to sort of anchor that, that particular podcast. But stay tuned. Please subscribe to the podcast. Leave five-star feedback. Leave positive comments if you like the pod. If you don't like the pod, you can yell at me. It's my fault. I almost assure you that it's my fault that you don't like the podcast if you don't like it. So my apologies on that. But hopefully we'll get better in the future. You'll start to like us down the line. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you for listening, everyone. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks again to Scott. And uh, please check out TalkingChop.com. We'll see you guys in a few days.